Welcome. I'm Randall Broad, and you are listening in on C-Sessions. My guest today, I'm extremely pleased to have Mr. Trevor Maxwell, who is the founder and a Wolfpack man for Man Up to Cancer. And Trevor is located back east, where there's lots of snow. I really appreciate the fact that he had to trudge all the way from his living room into his bedroom so he could be on here and share his story with us today. Trevor. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I'm psyched to be here. I actually had to shovel out through the house too. You know, it's Maine. We're shoveling everywhere. <laughs> well, it's that kind of year. <laughs> right. That's right. No two ways around. Psyched to be here. Let's jump right in. I've had a chance to read and hear a little bit about your story. Trevor is a colorectal cancer patient. I was diagnosed in 2018, so not too terribly long ago. It's fairly recent for anybody with that diagnosis. Take us from the day that you got that wonderful news to where you're at today. Yeah, definitely. Going on three years now, living with stage four colon cancer. So yeah, it's been um, quite a ride, man. I was 41 years old when I was diagnosed, married, two kids. Our daughters were 10 and 12 at the time. And like a lot of guys, I had not been to, I hadn't been to a doctor in years and wasn't getting any physicals or anything like that. Just, you know, felt pretty healthy. I a very physical guy, very active, uh, had my own communications business, just very busy. And then I started getting really tired, like, and then more tired and more tired. But like a lot of guys, I just, again, said, yeah, Hey, I'm 40 now. It's kind of normal <laughs> to be tired. Right. But finally got to the point where I was like, okay, something's really not right. So got in touch with my primary care physician. She said, man, I got to figure this out. She had me do a blood test that showed I was basically had no iron in my blood, super anemic and put me in for a colonoscopy and came out of the colonoscopy knowing that I had a very large tumor in my colon, the large intestine, found out that I also had metastasis to my liver. So, excuse me. Yeah. Went from being just active, normal, normal life to just this asteroid that hit me and our whole family. Wow. That's, that's a lot. And I guess, so where my journey took me is that the first So I had colon surgery, then I did chemo, and that's when we actually found out I had uh, metastasis in my liver, and so I had a a liver surgery. So those first like six months were such a blur, I struggled hugely with depression, anxiety. (laughs) My mental health really went downhill. I found myself isolating from my family, my friends. Basically, I kind of became a wreck there for a while during that early period. I don't think that's uncommon. I was very similar as well. And I had a 13 and a 15 year old at the time. And I remember distinctly the day that I was told you have stage three non-small cell cancer. I didn't think about anything other than my Mm. two kids. Of course, I went to a dark space and I just couldn't even imagine growing up without my dad. And so it was very eye-opening for me. And it definitely, to the point, what you're talking about, the depression, the isolation, the feeling alone was very prominent. So I totally know exactly what you're saying. To your point about it being common, now now I know it is common, but at the time, in terms right. of like really struggling with the mental health, but at the time, in our culture, in our society, we're surrounded by images and themes about cancer patients and, and what sort of what the cancer patient is supposed to look like and what that represents. And oftentimes in the media and in, in our culture, it's represented as just this super strong, handle it, everything's okay, like running in races and like fundraising all the while while going through cancer. And so I'm like the opposite of that. I'm like stuck on the couch and the bed, like crippled with my mental health issues. So it was almost like double punch. Like I felt like I was failing at cancer as well. I didn't really realize how many other guys were struggling like I was too. 
Yeah, I concur. I, I was 52. You were 41. We weren't exactly what you would call old age. <laughs> We're getting right. You hadn't been exposed to very much. So when that happens, again, even all the more reason why you tend to maybe shut down. It sounds to me because you've created man up to cancer mm -hmm. and I see that you have a pretty good solid following of men who yes. have heard the same words and been down the same trip path are listening and paying attention. Yeah. I mean, for me, the turning point really was, I mean, I was fortunate that I had a family, you know, wife that was not going to give up on me, kids that were encouraging me. And the turning point came when, like you said, I was in that place where I just couldn't get over the the fear of, you know, or the depression and fear that I was going to die and, and leave my kids. I wasn't going to be able to raise my kids and, and all that stuff. And my wife is like, hey, man, <laughs> whether you live a year or 40 years, like you're here now. Right. And we need you and we need you now. This family needs you to to step up and get back engaged in life. Wow. And she gave you a little slap right aside of the head. Mm, tough love, right? <laughs> a lot of people don't have that person in their life that that loves you that much and is willing to yeah, give you that slap that you need. Right. And I told her, you know, I can't turn this around overnight, but I'm going to make a promise to you that I'm going to do everything I can to to turn it around mentally and and become that engaged, active, positive dad, no matter what happens with my prognosis. And the key to it was acknowledging that I, I needed help, that okay. I couldn't do it alone. So acknowledging that I needed help and then also being, being willing to accept help. Yeah. The, the two go hand in hand and, and they're, sometimes they're very different. So hmm. you use the word turn. What turned you on or how did you, where did you turn to? The tools that I used were number one, I got counseling. I went to my local, the Dempsey Center in Maine, founded by the actor Patrick Dempsey, offers free services, everything but the treatment, like the psychological stuff, the whole, the, the wellness stuff around cancer. I was able to get free counseling through the Dempsey Center individually and also group counseling there. So I would go sit in a group and talk it out and cry it out when I needed to. Um, and then online, like you said, I started going online and connecting with people who are going through the same thing. So exercise, counseling, uh, group therapy, and then going online and colon town really opened my eyes to connecting with people who were going through colon cancer like I was. Colon town. That would be <laughs> Erica Hanson Brown. That's Erica who started that. Absolutely. Erica's been on this show. I don't mean to be glib. Erica actually was the one who ordered me to meet you, just so you know. <laughs> that she didn't introduce right. me. She ordered me. Bless her heart. And I'm glad she did. She is an amazing connector. I think she calls it connectoring. Is it connectoring or <laughs> maybe it's colorectoring. <laughs> anyway, <sounds> right. um, <laughs> tell us about that. Yeah. So I'm 41 uh, and I can't just go out. Like I'm in Maine, this rural area. Like it's not like I can connect in person with a bunch of people who have stage four colon cancer with kids <laughs> that young. And like, but, the, but there are, once you go online, you can connect with people exactly in that same boat. And I've met dozens of them. So colon town, exists on Facebook in private groups and you can join, they have these neighborhoods. So I'm, I'm part of many colon town neighborhoods, one of which is for people with colon cancer who have children at home. One of which is for people with colon cancer who have Lynch syndrome, like I do. It, it connects you at a granular level with people who are facing the same challenges you are. And, and I think for almost all cancer patients, that's that kind of camaraderie and, and going through it together is really what a lot of us are looking for was it about colon town that was different than other advocacy groups i 
I think it was just the, the level of personalization. A couple things. It was that it's, it's really focused on peer-to-peer, not just support. There's tons of support groups, but it's also learning. So education. I could go on in certain groups like I have the, the biology of my cancer is something called MSI high. And I can be, I'm part of a group in Colentown that's specific to that. Peer-to-peer was truly peer-to-peer. And you were talking to people that were going through same types of treatment, same emotional aspects, et cetera. It's got it. Okay. Exactly. Erica was, you know, getting involved with Colentown and and starting to find my voice there and seeing what you could do as a patient advocate. A, A lot of what I've done with Man Up to Cancer has been modeled on what Erica founded and started with Colentown. And now, um, you know, she has stepped back from the day to day. There's a cabinet that's in charge of the day to day of, of Colin town. And Lindsay is the new mayor and is just doing a fantastic job there. So I recommend anyone who has colorectal cancer, please check it out. Yes, absolutely. To find these peer to peers and especially at that level where you are connecting. I, I did the same thing, but mine was through longevity and originally, and I mm. got to meet several people in very, they were, essential and exceptionally good at connecting people with lung cancer. And I still to this day am quite connected with quite the ones that have lived. And unfortunately, and it is one of the sad aspects of it. Mm. I have seen over the years, many depart prematurely. And that's the, that's the hard part. Now let's talk about man up to cancer. So, because you've got this following these, this group of almost a thousand people on your Facebook. That's amazing by the way. And you just started this, what a year ago? Yeah, it was a year ago. I started bouncing around that phrase man up to cancer because, well, let me just circle back real quickly on, on Colin town and some of the other groups. I noticed as I started reaching out for help and you were the only guy. I, yeah, I noticed that <laughs> oftentimes I was the only dude in the, in the, in the room. Right. And so I'm thinking like, wow, I'm benefiting from this peer to peer, not just support, but education around treatment options, all this stuff. And I'm like, where are the guys at? Like, this is, this is great stuff that people are missing out on, especially men. You know, I'm a journalist by training. And so I started reading a lot of, I started reading a lot of science um, and studies and just, so from my own experience and then reading about some of the studies around how men and women in general cope with a life-threatening illness, I started really opening my eyes to the fact that, and I say this often, in general, when faced with cancer, women tend to reach out and access their networks and men tend to check out. And, and there's a lot of reasons for this, not the least of which is cultural conditioning that tells us to quote unquote, man up and don't burden others when Be we tough. get sick. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but to me, it was like, man, like I couldn't go through this on my own. Like, why, why are we applying this concept of just not burden others, go through it on your own to something that is really not navigable? <laughs> I don't think I, it's not helpful to go through it on your own. Yeah. So I started using that phrase, like with my wife, I said, Hey, I should start writing this book called man up to cancer. And to, because to me, I want to redefine what manning up to cancer means in my mind to man up to cancer doesn't mean just to be tough. It means being strong enough and having enough courage to accept help along the way. Absolutely. I started playing with that phrase and writing, blogging about it, started a book, haven't finished it because I've been busy (laughs) doing all the other stuff. But so that's how it started. This was December, 2019. And then I started, I launched the Facebook group. So the Facebook group is called The Howling Place. 
And it's a private Facebook group for all men who are impacted by cancer, no matter what type, no matter what stage, no matter where you are, it focuses on the things that we have in common and started that December 31st, 2019. And I got to give a huge shout out to (laughs) Joe Bullock from my buddy from Durham, North Carolina was the first guy to really respond to that outreach and say, I am all in, what can I do? And I asked him, I I asked for his help. I said, Hey, will you help me build this group and oversee it? Because I have a a big vision here with man up to cancer. I want to do a podcast website, like the community piece of it, but I needed help. And Joe stepped up huge. And he has been the, um, the lead admin of that group as we've grown from just me and him, the two of us back then a year ago to now more than 850 guys from all around the country. And I think we have guys from like eight other countries in there now as well. Well, well, I'm raising my hand. I'm, uh, you got a new member. Awesome. I love it. Start howling. Yeah, no, I love your logo, by the way. I think your logo is fabulous. And um, I was wondering what the, you know, where the wolf came in and that's great. A wolf pack. I like it. We have to be there for each other. You know, wolves are very social creatures. Yes, they are. And and they take turns doing, doing the heavy lifting. And when one of the wolves is sick or injured, the others take care of it. They take care of that wolf until he returns to health. Or if he passes away, they actually mourn that wolf. And I said, why aren't, why are we as humans? Yeah, I was going to say, where's the human being in this thing? (laughs) No, that's fabulous. I love it. It's so funny. I remember reading uh, Farley Moat's book, um, Never Mm. Cry Wolf. And I absolutely love that book. You've, you've picked on one that's really, really great. And a lot of this is just having fun with it too. Like I needed a project that number one, I wanted to reach out to guys like me because that summer after I got diagnosed, I was a broken person right. and, and I was at the, I was at the point where I didn't think I was ever going to be able to crawl out of that hole that I was in. So when I started man up to cancer, I, that was the person I really want to reach out to and be like, Hey, I know how you're feeling, man. I'm there and I'm here to get, I, I want to give you hope that you can also pull out of that too. But then uh, uh, the other piece of it is just that I needed something to combine that passion of wanting to help others with also something that would just keep me moving and motivate me through my own treatments. Like I've been, I've had three major abdominal surgeries, chemotherapy. I'm now on immunotherapy. I'm just about to start a clinical trial. So the, the medical, the treatment part of it can really be a, a mind uh, mess with your mind. I'm not allowed to say what I want to say there, but can mess (laughs) with your mind. So, so the man up to cancer project and all the things that I've kind of added on to it, has really given me a focus, a really positive focus in my life. I was just going to say a a very positive focus on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned writing a book and I I just, I want to share briefly. I remember the phase that you were just talking about. And I remember being in seeing my oncologist and this is when I was seeing him about every three weeks. And I remember we were, I was just talking and sharing how I was feeling, what was going on. And, and he looked at me and he says, you have a giant D on your forehead. And I said, yeah. He goes, yeah. And it stands for depression. And he goes, I'm going to prescribe something to hopefully help you. But he goes, you need to start emotionally trying to figure out how to move yourself out of this mm. position. So, because uh, he said almost like, you know, same, same thing that you're sharing. And, um, and then I remember, see, and one of the things that I was told, I don't know whatever, if you were given any prognosis or any, but yep. I was, I was deemed inoperable while I was on the operating table by my surgeon. And during the post-op mm-hmm. meeting, he, I remember, you know, coming in and I had my 80 
two-year-old mother and my sister was there and I said, well, since you didn't take the tumor out, I can only presume that this was positive. And he says, well, actually, quite frankly, it's the opposite. And he goes, um, you should probably get your things in order. You've got maybe a year, 14 months to live. And so we had to leave that room with that wow. information. I remember my mom in the parking lot going, well, that could have gone better. And then just completely <laughs> break, we all broke down crying. Sure, sure. And, um, but I remember what's, what, what came from that. I wrote a book and I had never even thought about writing a book, yeah. but because I didn't think I was going to be mm -hmm. around a lot longer, my kids, there were a lot of things about me that I hadn't probably shared. And I wanted to leave with them in the event I wasn't around to be able to resource it. Oh, so, man, when, when, when death stares you at the face, it's a powerful motivation. That's for well, sure. you know, there's nothing like the sight of the gallows in the morning to spur one on. I can't remember who said that, but um, it does motivate you. But I, what, the reason I'm bringing this up, because you haven't finished your book yet. And I want you to know, I wrote I started writing mine in November 2009. And on March 14th, I was holding a bound printed copy in my hand. That's fantastic. The sight of the gallows in the morning has a way of spurring one on. And so, so many people, and I was working with a publishing coach and he was, and then there were people in there that were quote unquote writing their book and they always treated like, oh, well, you know, I've only <laughs> gotten one chapter yeah. and someday I'll get, you know, and this and that mm -hmm. and the next. In fact, I know there's still people in it that haven't finished their book. So I'm just all I'm, I'm sharing this with you because two reasons. One, that was probably the most cathartic thing I did while I was going through that period. I found I wrote most of it between the hours of 9 p.m. and 3 a.m because there was no interruptions right. and I could focus. And writing a book is different than painting a fence. So anyway, I just wanted to share that, that I think you will find joy if you can iron out the time, maybe set aside, say, okay, this week I'm going to make mm. sure I write one chapter and something to that effect. But I bet you, you will find that it will have a positive influence on you. Yeah, absolutely. And I, starting the group, and having it take off in the way that it did, it was I was not really expecting the response and the numbers. And then that led me into really feeling like I wanted to get the podcast off the ground and the website. And and so being able to do that in 2020 was so fantastic. And I had a bunch of friends who helped me do that. So every time I'd start, so got the podcast going, the website, and then the group just continued to take off. And then I started doing you know other things associated with that. And, and every time my wife would be like, when are you going to set aside time for the book? When are you going to set aside time for the book? Ah, I, I like I, that. I like your wife. Jeez. <laughs> I mean, talk about the luckiest guy in the world. And, yeah, and, I've, and I've got stage four cancer at 44. So 2021 is, is happening now. Like this has to be a priority for me and the motivation. Like we always talk about in the Howling Place group, we talk about, Hey, like the Shawshank Redemption, get busy living or get busy dying. Busy dying right. It's one of my favorite lines and one of my favorite movies. We've just got a couple of minutes left here, but talk about the podcast real quickly. When is it? How does somebody like me want to, if I want to hear it, where do I go? Yeah. I mean, the best, the best entry point for all this stuff is manuptocancer.com. Okay. Just go to manuptocancer.com. It's got my written blogs. It's got the podcast. It's got links to the howling place. So really what man up to cancer is, is three things. It's the podcast, which publishes uh, every Tuesday. Although I am taking I'm taking two weeks off to spend time right now with Christmas and New Year's with the kids and the wife. Don't blame um, you. But, but, but usually it's every Tuesday. 
every Tuesday morning. We have a new podcast. And then the other components are the website, which I'm hoping to build out with a lot more resources. Because one thing about the Howling Place Facebook group is that we're uh, we're like the laid back lodge that you go to to kick back, shoot the breeze, um, talk with other guys. It's not where you go to science the crap out of your cancer or to talk about treatments or specific things like that. But once people come into the group, I want to be able to direct them. So let's say someone just got testicular cancer. They come into the group. They're looking for treatment discussions and resources. We can then connect them with the people and the groups that give them that as well. So there's the podcast, the website, and then there's the Howling Place group, which is for those men who really want that extra layer of joining. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I like the sound of your wolf pack. I mean, obviously, if you've got some Jets fans out there, they've got a place to go and vent, you know. <laughs> You know, being a New Englander and and dominating for so long, you know. I, I know, and and to see that they got rid of the two best guys on the team, and <laughs> you know, I I scratch my head every time I watch. <laughs> There's a place for Jets play, fans. There's even a place for Bills fans in there, even yeah. though I'm a I'm a diehard Patriots fan. There you go. Even Seahawks. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> well, listen. Trevor, this has been fantastic. I want to thank you for being a part of this, and I am looking forward to joining your program healing place and i don't think this will be the last conversation we have absolutely man i really appreciate it thank you for everything you do thank you welcome i'm randall broad and you are listening in on c sessions my guest today i'm extremely pleased to have mr trevor maxwell who is the founder and a wolf pack man for man up to cancer and Trevor is located back east, where there's lots of snow. I really appreciate the fact that he had to trudge all the way from his living room into his bedroom so he could be on here and share his story with us today. Trevor. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I'm psyched to be here. I actually had to shovel out through the house, too. You know, it's Maine. We're shoveling everywhere. <laughs> well, it's that kind of year. <laughs> right. That's right. No two ways Psyched around. to be here. Let's jump right in. I've had a chance to read and hear a little bit about your story. Trevor is a colorectal cancer patient. I uh, was diagnosed in 2018, so not too terribly long ago. It's fairly recent for anybody with that diagnosis. Take us from the day that you got that wonderful news to where you're at today. Yeah, definitely. Going on three years now, living with stage four colon cancer. Wow. So yeah, it's been um, quite a ride, man. I was 41 years old when I was diagnosed, married two kids. Our daughters were 10 and 12 at the time. And like a lot of guys, I had not been to, I hadn't been to a doctor in years and wasn't getting any physicals or anything like that. Just, you know, felt pretty healthy. I, a very physical guy, very active, uh, had my own communications business, just very busy. And then I started getting really tired, like, and then more tired and more tired. But like a lot of guys, I just, again, said, yeah, Hey, I'm 40 now. It's kind of normal <laughs> to be tired. Right. But finally got to the point where I was like, okay, something's really not right. So got in touch with my primary care physician. She said, man, I got to figure this out. She had me do a blood test that showed I was basically had no iron in my blood, super anemic, and put me in for a colonoscopy and came out of the colonoscopy knowing that I had a very large tumor in my colon, the large mm. intestine, found out that I also had metastasis to my liver. So, oh, excuse me, yeah, it went from being just active, normal, normal life to just this asteroid that hit me and our whole family. Wow, that's, that's a lot. And I guess so where my journey took me is that the first... So I had colon surgery, then I did chemo, and that's when we actually found out I had uh, metastasis in my liver. 
And so I had a, a liver surgery. So those first like six months were such a blur. I struggled hugely with depression, anxiety. <laughs> my mental health really went downhill. I found myself isolating from my family and my friends. Basically, I kind of became a wreck there for a while during that early period. I don't think that's uncommon. I was very similar as well. And I had a 13 and a 15 year old at the time. And I remember distinctly the day that I was told you have stage three non-small cell cancer. I didn't think about anything other than my mm. two kids. Of course, I went to a dark space and I just couldn't even imagine growing up without my dad. And so it was very... <laughs> eye-opening for me and it definitely to the point what you're talking about the depression the isolation the feeling alone was very prominent so i totally know exactly what you're saying to your point about it being common now the, now i know it is common but at the time in terms right. of like really struggling with the mental health but at the time in our culture in our society we're surrounded by images and themes about cancer patients and, and what sort of what the cancer patient is supposed to look like and what that represents. And oftentimes in the media and in, in our culture, it's represented as just this super strong, handle it, everything's okay, like running in races and like fundraising all the while while going through cancer. And so I'm like the opposite of that. I'm like stuck on the couch and the bed, like crippled with my mental health issues. So it was almost like double punch. Like I felt like I was failing at cancer as well. I didn't really realize how many other guys were struggling like I was too. Yeah, I concur. I, I was 52. You were 41. We weren't exactly what you would call old age for getting right. You hadn't been exposed to very much. So when that happens, again, even all the more reason why you tend to maybe shut down. It sounds to me because you've created man up to cancer. Mm -hmm. And I see that you have a pretty good solid following of men who yes. have heard the same words and been down the same trip path are listening and paying attention. Yeah. I mean, for me, the turning point really was, I mean, I was fortunate that I had a family, you know, wife that was not going to give up on me, kids that were encouraging me. And the turning point came when, like you said, I was in that place where I just couldn't get over the, the fear of, you know, or the depression and fear that I was going to die and, and leave my kids. I wasn't going to be able to raise my kids and, and all that stuff. And my wife is like, Hey man, <laughs> whether you live a year or 40 years, like you're here now right. and we need you and we need you now. This family needs you to, to step up and get back engaged in life. Wow. And, she gave you a little slap right aside of the head. Mm, tough love, right? <laughs> a lot of people don't have that person in their life that, that loves you that much and is willing to, yeah, give you that slap that you need. Right. And I told her, you know, I can't turn this around overnight, but I'm going to make a promise to you that I'm going to do everything I can to, to turn it around mentally and, and, become that engaged, active, positive dad, no matter what happens with my prognosis. And the key to it was acknowledging that I, I needed help, that okay. I couldn't do it alone. So acknowledging that I needed help and then also being, being willing to accept help. Yeah. The, the two go hand in hand and, and they're, sometimes they're very different. So hmm. you use the word turn. What turned you on or how did you, where did you turn to? The tools that I used were number one, I got counseling. I went to my local, the Dempsey Center in Maine, founded by the actor Patrick Dempsey, offers free services, everything but the treatment, like the psychological stuff, the whole, the, the wellness stuff around cancer. I was able to get free counseling through the Dempsey Center individually and also group counseling there. So I would go sit in a group and talk it out and cry it out when I needed to. Um, and then online, like you said, I started going online and connecting with people who are going through the same thing. So exercise, 
counseling, uh, group therapy, and then going online and colon town really opened my eyes to connecting with people who were going through colon cancer. Like I was colon town. That would be <laughs> Erica Hanson Brown. That's Erica who started that. Absolutely. Erica has been on this show. I don't mean to be glib. Erica actually was the one who ordered me to meet you. Just so you know, <laughs> that she didn't right. introduce me. She ordered me <laughs> bless her heart. And I'm glad she did. She is an amazing connector. I think she calls it connectoring. Is it connectoring or <laughs> maybe it's colorectoring? <laughs> that anyway, <sounds> right. um, <laughs> tell us about that. Yeah. So I'm 41 uh, and I can't just go out. Like I'm in Maine, this rural area. Like it's not like I can connect in person with a bunch of people who have stage four colon cancer with kids <laughs> that young. And like, but, the, but there are, once you go online, you can connect with people exactly in that same boat. And I've met dozens of them. So colon town, exists on Facebook in private groups and you can join, they have these neighborhoods. So I'm, I'm part of many colon town neighborhoods. One of which is for people with colon cancer who have children at home. One of which is for people with colon cancer who have Lynch syndrome. Like I do, it, it connects you at a granular level with people who are facing the same challenges you are. And, and I think for almost all cancer patients, that's that kind of camaraderie and, and going through it together is really what a lot of us are looking for. Was it about Colon Town that was different than other advocacy groups? I I think it was just the the level of personalization. A couple things. It was that it's it's really focused on peer to peer, not just support. There's tons of support groups, but it's also learning. So education. I could go on in certain groups. Like I have the the biology of my cancer is something called MSI high. And I can be, I'm part of a group in Colon Town that's specific to that. Peer-to-peer -peer was truly peer-to-peer. -peer, and you yes. were talking to people that were going through same types of treatment, same emotional aspects, et cetera. It's got it. Okay. Exactly. Erica was, you know, getting involved with Colon Town and, and starting to find my voice there and seeing what you could do as a patient advocate. A, a lot of what I've done with Man Up to Cancer has been modeled on what Erica founded and started with Colon Town. And now, um, you know, she has stepped back from the day to day. Um, there's a cabinet that's in charge of the day to day of, of Colin town and Lindsay is the new mayor and is just doing a fantastic job there. So I recommend anyone who has colorectal cancer, please check it out. Yes, absolutely. To find these peer to peers and especially at that level where you are connecting. I, I did the same thing, but mine was through longevity and originally, and I mm. got to meet several people in very, they were, essential and exceptionally good at connecting people with lung cancer. And I still to this day am quite connected with quite the ones that have lived. And unfortunately, and it is one of the sad aspects of it. Mm. I have seen over the years, many depart prematurely. Absolutely. And that's the, that's the hard part. Now, let's talk about Man Up to Cancer. So, because you've got this following, these, this group of almost a thousand people on your Facebook. That's amazing, by the way. And you just started this, what, a year ago? Yeah, it was a year ago. I started bouncing around that phrase, Man Up to Cancer, because, well, let me just circle back real quickly on, on Colon Town and some of the other groups. I noticed as I started reaching out for help. and You were the and only guy. Out, I, yeah, I noticed that <laughs> oftentimes I was the only dude in the, in the, in the room. Right. And so I'm thinking like, wow, I'm benefiting from this peer to peer, not just support, but education around treatment options, all this stuff. And I'm like, where are the guys at? Like, this is, this is great stuff that 
people are missing out on, especially men. You know, I'm a journalist by training. And so I started reading a lot of, I started reading a lot of science um, and studies and just, so from my own experience and then reading about some of the studies around how men and women in general cope with a life-threatening illness, I started really opening my eyes to the fact that, and I say this often, in general, when faced with cancer, women tend to reach out and access their networks and men tend to check out. And, and there's a lot of reasons for this, n- not the least of which is cultural conditioning that tells us to, quote unquote, man up and don't burden others when Be we tough. get sick, right? Yeah. <laughs> but to me, it was like, man, like I couldn't go through this on my own. Like, why, why are we applying this concept of just not burden others, go through it on your own to something that is really not navigable? <laughs> I don't think it's not helpful to go through it on your own. So I started using that phrase, like with my wife, I said, Hey, I should start writing this book called man up to cancer. And because to me, I want to redefine what manning up to cancer means in my mind to man up to cancer doesn't mean just to be tough. It means being strong enough and having enough courage to accept help along the way. Absolutely. I started playing with that phrase and writing, blogging about it, started a book, haven't finished it because I've been busy (laughs) doing all the other stuff, but so that's how it started. This was December, 2019. And then I started, I launched the Facebook group. So the Facebook group is called the howling place. And it's a private Facebook group for all men who are impacted by cancer, no matter what type, no matter what stage, no matter where Great. you are, it focuses on the things that we have in common and started that December 31st, 2019. And I got to give a huge shout out to <laughs> Joe Bullock from my buddy from Durham, North Carolina was the first guy to really respond to that outreach and say, I am all in, what can I do? And I asked him, I I asked for his help. I said, Hey, will you help me build this group and oversee it? Because I have a a big vision here with man up to cancer. I want to do a podcast website, like the community piece of it, but I needed help. And Joe stepped up huge and he has been the, um, the lead admin of that group as we've grown from just me and him, the two of us back then a year ago to now, more than 850 guys from all around the country. And I think we have guys from like eight other countries in there now as well. Well, well I'm raising my hand. I'm, uh, you got a new member. Awesome. I love it. Start howling. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, no, I, I love goes, your logo, yeah. by the way. I think your logo is fabulous. And um, I was wondering what the, you know, where the yeah. wolf came in and that you've, that's great. A wolf pack. I like it. We have to be there for each other. You know, wolves are very social creatures. Yes, they are. And and they take turns doing doing the heavy lifting. And when one of the wolves is sick or injured, the they others take care of it. They take care of that wolf yeah. in, until he returns to health or if he passes away, they actually mourn that wolf. And I said, Why aren't why are we as humans? Where, yeah, I was gonna to- say, where's the human being in this thing? <laughs> yeah. No, that's fabulous. I love it. It's so funny. I remember reading uh, Farley Moat's book, um, Never mm. Cry Wolf. And I absolutely love that book. You've, you've picked on one that's really, really great. And a lot of this is just having fun with it too. Like I needed a project that number one, I wanted to reach out to guys like me because that summer after I got diagnosed, I was a broken person. Right. And, and I was at the, I was at the point where I didn't think I was ever going to be able to crawl out of that hole that I was in. So when I started man up to cancer, that was the person I really want to reach out to and be like, Hey, I know how you're feeling, man. I'm there and I'm here to get, I I want to give you hope that you can also pull out of that too. But then uh, uh, the other piece of it is just that I needed something to combine that passion of wanting to help others with also something that would just keep me moving and motivate me through my own treatments. Like I've been, 
I've had three major abdominal surgeries, chemotherapy. I'm now on immunotherapy. I'm just about to start a clinical trial. So the, the medical, the treatment part of it can really be a, a mind, uh, mess oh, with yeah. your mind. I'm not allowed to say what I want to say there, but can mess <laughs> with your mind. So, so the man up to cancer project and all the things that I've kind of added onto it has really given me a focus, a yeah. really positive focus in my life. I was I just going to say a, a, a very positive focus on the outside. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned writing a book and then I, I, I just, I want to share briefly. I remember the phase that you were just talking about. And I remember being in seeing my oncologist and this is when I was seeing him about every three weeks. And I remember we were, I was just talking and sharing how I was feeling, what was going on. And, and he looked at me and he says, you have a giant D on your forehead. And I said, yeah, he goes, yeah. And it stands for depression. And he goes, I'm going to prescribe something to hopefully help you. But he goes, you need to start emotionally trying to figure out how to move yourself out of this mm. position. So, uh, cause he said almost like, you know, same, same thing that you're sharing. And, um, and then I remember, see, and one of the things that I was told, I don't know whatever, if you were given any prognosis or any, but yep. I was, I was deemed inoperable while I was on the operating table by my surgeon. And during the post-op mm-hmm. meeting, he, I remember, you know, coming in and I had my 80, two-year-old mother and my sister was there and I said well since you didn't take the tumor out I can only presume that this was positive and he says well actually quite frankly it's the opposite and he goes um you should probably get your things in order you've got maybe a year 14 months to live and so we had to leave that room with that information I remember my mom in the parking lot going, well, that could have gone better. And then just completely break. We all broke down crying. Sure, sure. And, um, but I remember what's, what, what came from that. I wrote a book and I had never even thought about writing a book, yeah. but because I didn't think I was going to be around a lot longer, my kids, there were a lot of things about me that I hadn't probably shared. And I wanted to leave with them in the event I wasn't around to, be able to resource it. Oh so, man, when, when, when death stares you at the face, it's a powerful motivation. That's for Well, sure. you know, there's nothing like the sight of the gallows in the morning to spur one on. I can't remember who said that, but um, it does motivate you. But I want, the reason I'm bringing this up because you haven't finished your book yet. And I want you to know, I wrote, I started writing mine in November, 2009. And on March, 14th I was holding a bound printed copy in my hand that's fantastic the sight of the gallows in the morning has a way of spurring one on and so so many people and I was working with a publishing coach and he was and then there were people in there that were quote-unquote writing their book and they always treated like oh well you know I've only gotten someday. one chapter yeah. and someday I'll get, you know, and this and that. And the next. In fact, I know there's still people in it that haven't finished their book. So I'm just all I'm, I'm sharing this with you because two reasons. One, that was probably the most cathartic thing I did while I was going through that period. I found I wrote most of it between the hours of 9 p.m. and 3 a.m because there was no interruptions right. and I could focus. And writing a book is different than painting a fence. So anyway, I just wanted to share that, that I think you will find joy if you can iron out the time, maybe set aside, say, okay, this week I'm going to make sure I write one chapter. 
and something to that effect. But I bet you, you will find that it will have a positive influence on you. Yeah, absolutely. And I starting the group and having it take off in the way that it did, it was, I was not really expecting the response and the numbers. And then that led me into really feeling like I wanted to get the podcast off the ground and the website. And, and so being able to do that in 2020 was so fantastic. And I had a bunch of friends who helped me do that. So every time I'd start, so got the podcast going, the website, and then the group just continued to take off. And then I started doing you know other things associated with that. And, and every time my wife would be like, when are you going to set aside time for the book? When are you going to set aside time for the book? Ah, I, I like I, that. I like your wife. Jeez. <laughs> I mean, talk about the luckiest guy in the world. And, oh, and, I've, great. and I've got stage four cancer at 44. So 2021 is, is happening now. Like this has to be a priority for me and the motivation. Like we always talk about in the Howling Place group, we talk about, Hey, like the Shawshank Redemption, get busy living or get busy dying. Get busy dying right. It's one of my favorite lines and one of my favorite movies. We've just got a couple of minutes left here, but talk about the podcast real quickly. When is it? How does somebody like me want to, if I want to hear it, where do I go? Yeah. I mean, the best, the best entry point for all this stuff is manuptocancer.com. Okay. Just go to manuptocancer.com. It's got my written blogs. It's got the podcast. It's got links to the howling place. So really what man up to cancer is, is three things. It's the podcast, which publishes uh, every Tuesday. Although I am taking I'm taking two weeks off to spend time right now with Christmas and New Year's with the kids and the wife. Don't blame um, but, but, but usually it's every Tuesday, every Tuesday morning, we have a new podcast. And then the other components are the website, which I'm hoping to build out with a lot more resources. Because one thing about the Howling Place Facebook group is that we're, uh, we're like the laid back lodge that you go to to kick back, shoot the breeze. Um, talk with other guys. It's not where you go to science the crap out of your cancer or to talk about treatments or specific things like that. But once people come into the group, I want to be able to direct them. So let's say someone just got testicular cancer. They come into the group, they're looking for treatment discussions and resources. We can then connect them with the people and the groups that give them that as well. So there's the podcast, the website, and then there's the Howling Place group, which is for those men who really want that extra layer of joining Yeah, no, I like the sound of your wolf pack. I mean, obviously, if you've got some Jets fans out there, they've got a place to go and vent, you know. <laughs> you know, being a New Englander and and dominating for so long, you know. I, I know, and, and to see that they got rid of the two best guys on the team, and <laughs> you know, I, I scratch my head every time I watch. <laughs> There's a place for Jets play, fans. There's even a place for Bills fans in there, even yeah. though I'm a, I'm a diehard Patriots fan. There you go. Even Seahawks. Perfect. Thank you. Well, listen, (laughs) Trevor, this has been fantastic. I want to thank you for being a part of this. And I am looking forward to joining your program, Healing Place. And I don't think this will be the last conversation we have. Absolutely, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you. Thank you.